hello and welcome back to The Corporate Casket, a semi-weekly series where bad businesses go to die. We will discuss any and everything from bad charities, terrible CEOs, and businesses that have a lot to hide. I'm the Illuminati, and today on the last day of Pride Month, I wanna discuss something that's been on my mind a bit, obviously, and that's queer baiting for cash. It's usually used as a marketing technique where creators or companies or creatives will hint at an LGBTQ plus relationship uh, to sort of check a box and to make money and gain support from that. It's like pretending to be LGBTQ friendly to seem more sympathetic to a target audience. This does not mean that if an openly LGBTQ character is single or doesn't end up in a relationship, the character is queer baiting. Some people have mistakenly used the term that way. It's the idea that the orientation of a character is teased, not the idea of the relationship. There's a lot more to it than that, and it's found its way into YouTube as well, and we'll get into that in just a moment. The point is, I've noticed a lot of it becoming quite a trend, and I just wanna talk about it and have a little conversation about this type of behavior and see what you guys think as well. This isn't like a lot of the episodes, which are more black and white and state why a company is terrible or anything. It's a lot more complicated, and there's a lot more gray area. So I apologize that plenty of you may not agree with me, and that's fine. I think this belongs in the corporate casket because a lot of people make lots of money off of lying to their fan bases and to their audiences or you know whoever's attention they're trying to grab through deceptive marketing. And I'm just really sick of it, but we'll get into that in just a sec. See, one of the biggest reasons that I think queer baiting bothers me so much is that many LGBTQ plus creators do have to struggle to even get their stories told. For example, Allie, who is my like main researcher and writer, she has one of her favorite authors named Victoria Schwab. And she says she's seriously fantastic and has had her book censored in Russia for featuring a gay couple. And The Guardian wrote this. Schwab was horrified to learn last week that her books weren't quite so diverse in Russian translations where her publisher excised a scene about the romantic relationship between two male characters. The Russian edition of Shades of Magic has been my favorite. This week I learned that they redacted the entire queer plot without permission, she wrote on Twitter to her more than 50,000 followers, describing herself as positively devastated. I was absolutely horrified, she continued. Wouldn't have known if not for a Russian reader who read both editions, publisher in total breach of contract. And no, it wasn't as if the Russian publisher cut out these graphic sex scenes or something. That wasn't even in the book. There was nothing graphic whatsoever between any couples in her book. They just cut an entire plot line because they were a same-sex couple. Victoria is a lesbian herself, and she and gender-fluid model Rain Dove have hinted that they'll be working together for adapting Shades of Magic for the big screen. Personally, I think this show's fantastic representation. A book that features openly gay characters and a movie adaptation that casts members of the LGBT community, that's fantastic. So for books and movies and even individuals to do the opposite, to make the purpose of their scripts or posts or whatever the hell the LGBTQ friendly you know, thing is to just check a box or sensationalize a community, that annoys me a little bit. And seriously, think about it, because we've spent a whole month of people possibly drumming up their fake relationship with someone who they just work with, probably content creators, and they're probably straight, and they're just doing it because they want to get the community riled up, and that's queer baiting. So let's go ahead and take a look with some different poor examples of representation, and let's go ahead and start with YouTube. Although queerbaiting, as we defined it earlier, is the teasing, the possibility of real or fictional characters as being queer, but it's just used as a ploy to either increase a fan base or appeal to more people, some YouTubers take this to a completely different level. 
I'm not saying that I wouldn't make this episode if not for some of these extreme examples, but it's definitely the examples I'm about to give here that are a little bit upsetting. Also, I don't want this to come across as though I'm trying to exactly criticize these specific creators. It's just the whole topic altogether that gives me pause. Because just remember, these are people who are straight and are not part of the community and they do this to get more money. So just keep that in mind is it's all about the dollar bill. One pretty well-known example of this is with the creator JStation. And I know I'm really late to the party to talk about this and YouTubers far bigger than me, particularly Jarvis Johnson have already made videos on this whole guy's channel and he's just apparently a mess of a human. JayStation's whole video where his friend turns gay is made just for views. And I really hope his audience knows better than to take any of it seriously. In his comment section, plenty of them sure seem to at least. Plenty of his viewers say this is homophobia is showing since JayStation's entire video is just a friend acting like a caricature of stereotypes of a gay male. And the premise for this, by the way, is that he bought like a gay potion from the dark web and then has his friend drink it. And now his friend is a stereotypical gay male. That's, that's the whole video. This is just barely worth addressing because I just don't think Jay really gives a shit if his videos are offensive so long as he gets clicks. Again, it's about money. Like we're talking about the same man who was arrested for faking his girlfriend's death for views. So I'm pretty sure the consensus is overwhelmingly against this type of behavior. Let's get into something that perhaps is a bit more questionable. As one source explains, when Joe Sugg announced his graphic novel, the title of the video was My Big Announcement and the thumbnail used fan-made Photoshop pictures of him kissing Casper Lee in My Big Announcement. Joe reveals that the pictures in the thumbnail were fan-created. It could be that Joe was simply acknowledging parts of his fan base that ship him and Casper by playing it up, although he does then go on to ask them to stop. Jazza John called the incident out in Is Joe Sugg Gay Baiting, speculating that Joe knew what he was doing because he included an inlay annotation that said, saws for the clickbait thumbnail, lol, 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 XOXO. There is a possibility of a queer kid seeing that thumbnail, clicking on it with the hope of their favorite YouTuber coming out as part of their queer LGBTQ plus community, said Jazza. For the YouTuber to use that clickbait and then shoot down the possibility of them being queer as being weird and gross, that's what made me angry. I don't think that Joe is a bad guy. He clearly saw the opportunity to get more clicks and use that. I mean, that's how you win at the YouTube game, through thumbnail and title optimization. It's important to note that clickbait or thumbnail and title optimization, as Jazza puts it, is a widespread and largely accepted tactic amongst YouTubers. But while queer baiting essentially utilizes the same methods, it shows a lack of understanding or concern for LGBTQ plus people and their feelings, which is why most LGBTQ people find it disrespectful. In Queer Baiting on YouTube, Becky Cruel explains the importance of coming out videos, pointing out that they're a way for LGBTQ plus people to establish themselves in a heteronormative society. The reason that it can be make or break is because we do live in a society which is not completely accepting of non-heterosexual relationship preferences and identities, she says. I'm inclined to agree with Jazza here. Obviously, I can't speak on behalf of the entire LGBTQ plus community. I'm only one of the letters, but I don't think anyone can because it's so diverse and so many different beliefs, but this really just reads as tacky to me. I think it's one thing to title a video, my big announcement, but to combine that with the implication is obvious. It may not be as downright offensive as Jay Stason literally having his friend try to force himself on Jay on camera for a gay potion that he drank, but it's still disrespectful. And I know that some may argue, hey, he's just playing the YouTube game and making clickbait because hey, that's what gets more views. And my opinion isn't more valuable than anyone else. I don't know everything that can or can't be joked about. 
What's fine for some people may not be for others, but at the very least, yeah, I can see why people would be bothered by this. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth, you know? YouTube isn't the only platform though. This is also a thing on TikTok. It's apparently become so common that even the New York Times has talked about this. And according to them, Connor Robinson, a 17-year-old British TikTok star with rosy cheeks and a budding six-pack, has built a large following by keeping his fans thirsty. Between the daily drip of shirtless dance routines and the skits about his floppy hair, Mr. Robinson posts sexually suggestive curveballs that he said break some barriers. In an eight-second video set to a lewd hip-hop track by The Weeknd, he and a fellow teenage boy, Elijah Finney, who calls himself Elijah Elliott, filmed themselves in a London hotel room, grinding against each other as if they're about to engage in passionate makeout session. The video ends with Mr. Robinson pushed against a tiled wall. But as racy as the video is, fans are under no pretense that the two are in throes of a gay puppy love. Mr. Robinson and Mr. Finley identify as heterosexual, but some TikTok influencers have discovered man-on-man action is a surefire way to generate traffic. Uploaded in February, the video has gotten more than 2.2 million views and 31,000 comments, lots of fire and heart emojis. The thing is, I'm probably least bothered by this one out of the three examples I've given so far. JayStation's friend made an absolute ass of himself and acted like he was groping and even going to sexually assault Jay after drinking a gay potion, which is just horrific. Joe Sugg made a clickbaity title that implies he's coming out to get views, but at the very least, Connor isn't acting like a caricature or preparing his TikTok persona in a negative light. There's two sides to the story and two sides presented in the New York Times. Some believe this further removes the stigma around being gay in the first place. The article says, Young men on TikTok feel free to push the envelope of homosocial behavior because they've emerged in an era of declining cultural homophobia, even if they don't recognize it as such, said Eric Anderson, a professor of masculinity studies at the University of Winchester in England. By embracing a softer side of manliness, they are rebelling against what Mr. Anderson called the anti-gay, anti-feminine model attributed to the youth cultures of previous generations. Yet on the other hand, there's people that find it downright insulting to make a joke of, and I can't blame them either at all. After all, Connor's just faking his sexuality for views at the end of the day. The article continues and says, still videos of straight men jumping into one another's laps or admiring each other's rear ends for the sake of TikTok views can feel exploitative, especially to gay viewers. Colton Haynes, 32, an openly gay actor from Teen Wolf, took to TikTok in March to call out the homosexual trend. To all the straight guys out there who keep posting those is kissing the bros gay videos and laughing and making a joke of it, being gay isn't a joke, he said. What is a joke is that you think you would have any followers or any likes without us. Some gay fans see it as progress, others see it as insulting. Homosexual, by the way, simply means those homies or friends are pretending to be in a same-sex relationship for clicks. I can understand why this is seen as progress to some, but I don't know how much progress two straight guys acting like they might kiss on TikTok can get either. At the end of the day, Connor and his friends aren't actually gay. I get that they're playing characters, but it does weirdly make being gay look as it's almost just like, you know, just a sexual scenario and and that's it, there's nothing else to it. There's no reality or truth there, it's TikTok. Again, I'm not telling you to unfollow or even dislike anyone that does this, but you know, seriously, as I said, this is more of a my opinion thing than anything. I haven't been horribly persecuted for my sexuality and I don't speak on behalf of anyone but myself, but personally, I'm just kind of sick of seeing straight white boys pretend to be gay on YouTube, TikTok, whatever, just for views. They just milk it and then behind the scenes, they just say some gross fucking shit. But hey, that's just me. Maybe you don't feel the same. Plenty find it harmless too and even poke fun at it. 
For the past year, Nick Toretta, a 20-year-old gay YouTube personality from Canada, has been posting videos to his channel. It's just Nick and reacting to what he calls bromance TikToks, usually with a mix of sarcastic humor and bewilderment. In one clip, two teenage boys are seated next to each other in class when one drops a small stuffed animal on the floor. As they both reach down to pick it up, they lock eyes and move in for a kiss. Mr. Toretta likes what he sees. When I was in high school four years ago, maybe it was uncool to be gay, but now being cool is gay, Mr. Toretta says in the video. Even straight boys are pretending to be gay to act cool, just like when I was pretending to be straight to act cool. Now they're doing the opposite. You know what, he adds with a laugh, it helps that they are attractive. Anyway, overall, I do believe it's the J stations of the world that are on another level from these bromance videos. At least hopefully we can agree that it's a little fucked up that guys who pretend to be gay just to trick women into letting their guard down, that whole situation, that that's probably the worst of the bunch. And yes, that is a thing. The Guardian wrote an article on this when men admitted they did it. Does this look too much? Graham asked, fingering the gold chain around his neck. No, it's spot on, they'll love it, said Fardell. Dressed in tight black t-shirts and trendy jeans with leather jackets, hair gelled and subtle touches of jewelry, they want to look like any other gay couple out on the town. But they are not like any other gay couple. They are strays, enthusiastic players of a new dating game gaining currency across the world when straight men pretend to be gay to attract women. It's a trick, they insist, that delivers the required results. I never actively claim to be gay, but by simply giving women the impression I might be, I find practically without exception, there's more chance they will sleep with me when they realize I'm heterosexual, admitted Graham, a 28 year old computer expert from South London. I know I said I wasn't gonna call it individuals, but like my man, that's pretty fucked up. I obviously don't speak for gay men, but I certainly don't know anyone that would be cool with Graham lying like that. Apparently there are women that are going for it, but like if I found out that a guy was like trying to be gay and then is like, oh no, I'm straight. I'd be like, okay, this is a little weird. Like go off, I guess, Uh, stay 10 feet away from me and let me cover my drink. However, now that we've touched upon what this is about and talk about a little bit when it comes to YouTube and TikTok, let's get into what this looks like in more mainstream media when it comes to books, movies, and television. But before we jump into that, let's go ahead and take a quick break to thank today's sponsor. Summer is finally right around the corner. And for some of us, summer has absolutely already arrived with the heat that we've been seeing recently. But now's the time, if you're vaccinated, to hang out with friends and family and start relaxing and maybe cooking some great food. And that's where HelloFresh comes in. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table faster in 30 minutes or less. And HelloFresh's high quality fresh ingredients are sourced directly from growers and delivered from farm to your front door in under a week, contact free of course. And they have a ton of menu items. I think, are they close to like doing 20, 25 a week of different recipes? It's incredible. And you can do anything from vegetarian options, high protein meals, whatever you want, you name it, they've got it. And for those of you who have still not tried the firecracker meatballs, y'all are missing out. So if you wanna get started with HelloFresh today, make sure to go to hellofresh.com slash casket14 and use code casket14 to sign up for 14 free meals plus free shipping. Get started with HelloFresh today. Get yourself some firecracker meatballs if you have not tried them yet. They are delicious. It doesn't matter what vegetable they pair it with. It is incredible every single time. Now, when it comes to queer baiting in mainstream media, one source says that queer baiting is perfectly common in young adult fantasy. This does lead to a lot of queer fandoms too, but we'll get into fanfic community stuff in just a bit. But anyways, let me elaborate. 
This blogger, a young adult fantasy writer herself explains, I have to call out a specific book, Queen of Shadows by Sarah J. Mass. Now, this is not a bad review of the book. I encourage you to read the series. It is a New York Times bestselling series. The covers are gorgeous and I've learned quite a bit as a writer from it, but in this latest book, the fourth of what will be a six book series, a new character is introduced who mentions that she has slept with women in her role as a consort and found it enjoyable. However, even though she interacts often with the protagonist who is amazingly sexy that each main character who is also male has fallen for her, this new character who enjoys sex with women never shows interest in the protagonist or any other woman who admittedly are few. Queen of Shadows is one example I've noticed in several series that includes sex workers as main characters that the author will often insert one or two lines about that character having sex with people of the same sex as part of their work. This allows the author to write in queer undertones without actually having queer characters. Because the fictional world contains people who are gay, the customers, it is often used as a placeholder for representing gay characters. So when the sex worker in question expresses fondness for intimate relations with the same sex, but then never shows a penchant for it again, and just as representation of various races, religion, sexuality, et cetera, in movies and TV is important, so is diversity important in fiction. To put it simply, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Basically, if you are gay and you never get to see a gay person being the hero, but instead always the sassy gay friend or the sidekick, you might start thinking you can't be the hero and society will agree. I can see why this is also on some shaky ground too. The thing is, if there's a gay couple or a trans person featured in a book, TV show, or movie, I'm not saying that it has to be the main focus or that it's the medium in order for it to be truly LGBTQ plus friendly. That author I mentioned earlier, Victoria Schwab, even though her book features a same-sex couple, it's not the entire focus of the story, mostly because it's fantasy, traveling between worlds and magic. Personally, I think it's how a couple is written that's important. Again, and this is just my opinion and feel free to ignore or disagree, but I think that whether a book or movie, there's a fine line between teasing the idea that a couple might be gay for views, reads, clicks, and intentionally writing them that way. Or in this case, it can come across like how the author threw in a line to let the audience know they're acknowledging the LGBTQ community exists. I'm not saying every author has to write in an LGBTQ couple in their book. That's a creative choice. I would just rather see an author research the community and or use their personal experience than choose to have a character be LGBTQ plus as opposed to write in a few sentences to just check off the box. Hopefully that makes sense. And I'm not saying I know where the fine line even is. I would just rather an author or director state from the onset that a character or couple is gay as opposed to just imply it and tease it, you know, just because they wanna look progressive. Some point to one of the most famous examples of this being Dumbledore from Harry Potter. In 2019, one article from Student Edge stated, in a recent interview with Radio Times, Rowling spoke in detail about how the characters Dumbledore and Grindelwald shared a romantic relationship as she'd previously hinted towards. Their relationship was incredibly intense. It was passionate and it was a love relationship, Rowling told Radio Times. But as happens in any relationship, gay or straight or whatever label we want to put on it, one never knows what the other person is feeling. You can't know, you can believe you know. So I'm less interested in the sexual side, though I believe there is a sexual dimension to this relationship. Then I am in the sense of the emotions they felt for each other, which ultimately is the most fascinating thing about all human relationship. Of course, none of this supposed relationship actually appears in the two released Fantastic Beast movies, the eight Harry Potter films, or J.K. Rowling's numerous books. So it leaves us with the question, if Rowling has put in so much effort into Dumbledore and Grindelwald's romantic backstory, 
why is it nowhere to be seen outside of interviews? Aside from her sticking to the fact that Dumbledore is gay, despite never saying so in the book or film series, Rowling is yet to actually include any queer characters in the Harry Potterverse. But she has retconned other aspects too. The fandom is understandably frustrated with Rowling only including queer or ethnically diverse characters in the Potterverse after the fact. For some, it reeks of Rowling desperately seeking credit for inclusivity without ever needing to explicitly commit to it in her literature. And there's a shit ton of other issues people have with JK Rowling. And today I'm just focusing on the queer baiting and using her as a very well-known example. The thing is, I'm not trying to argue about Dumbledore's sexuality either. Only JK Rowling knows for a 100% fact if she truly intended for him to be a gay character or simply added that in because it just seemed like a good and popular idea. I think what makes me a little upset about this, especially is that she had the chance to put an LGBTQ plus character on screen. If it was canonical that Dumbledore was gay, why not let him state that in later movies like Fantastic Beasts? It's just so frustrating that a community that's so underrepresented only has subtext to go off of, but by no means are these the only examples. One show that I consistently saw mentioned in my research is Sherlock featuring Benedict Cumberpatch. According to one of my sources, Sherlock deviates from the source material all the time. Absolutely fine with that. However, they apparently won't deviate enough to write Watson and Holmes as a couple, even though the writers or director or whoever is in charge of this hints at a relationship between them on a consistent basis for clicks. Color Web Mag reads, in the second trailer, you see Sherlock telling someone, I love you. Previous to that, you have Toby Jones's Culverton Smith saying that Sherlock will have to reveal his deepest, darkest secret. For big fans of the show, and particularly big fans who are also well aware of Sherlock's gay subtext, the trailer wants you to think that Sherlock's biggest, deepest, darkest secret is that he's in love with someone so meaningful to him that if he tells this person his truest feelings, it could wreck their entire friendship and indeed Sherlock's entire world. The only person who fits that description is John. There was a time when I was quite heavy into exploring the subtextual story in both the original Sherlock Holmes literature and Sherlock the show. A lot of that scholarship, if you wish to call it as such, is still available via the Wayback Machine. But the gist of it was why the show indulges in queer baiting when it doesn't have to. With the UK being in the 21st century and with Mark Gaddis, a gay man who seems to understand the subtext of the subject matter, as half of the executive producing writing duo, there's no reason why Sherlock has to be coy about asserting the queer aspects of Sherlock Holmes and John Watson. I haven't seen the show, so I'm not really gonna argue the most obvious examples of queer baiting are among it. However, this article does give specific examples if you're interested in looking at them and it'll always be available in my sources and there's quite a few of them too. Surprisingly, this isn't the only time this has happened with Sherlock Holmes in general. A different source called Mookie Chick also brings up a fantastic point when back in the 70s, the writer and director of A Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, Billy Wilder, hinted at Holmes being gay. And Billy Wilder himself stated, I should have been more daring. I have this theory. I wanted to have Holmes homosexual and not admitting it to anyone, including maybe even himself. The burden of keeping it secret was the reason he took dope. Wilder's version of Sherlock Holmes was the blueprint for BBC's Sherlock, and Mark Gaddis, the co-creator of Sherlock, called The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes a film that changed his life. It's a fantastically melancholy film. The relationship between Sherlock and Watson is treated beautifully. Sherlock effectively falls in love with him in the film, but it's so desperately unspoken. So frankly, yeah, I think it is a little bit ridiculous. Bill Wilder said he got it wrong, so he should have been more daring and more explicit in stating that Holmes was gay. 
Multiple sources say he has remorse for not doing that. So then what? The co-creator of Sherlock thought, hey, let's do the exact same thing? Mark Gaddis and Sherlock writers had the chance to be an even more progressive form than Wilder was in the 70s, to give the LGBTQ plus community that representation, but they didn't. And frankly, I don't understand why. Writers and actors of the show say that Sherlock isn't gay too, which is almost more insulting than the implications. If he isn't, then why is the co-creator saying how much he admires the relationship between Holmes and Watson in the 70s movie and how they fell in love? As Mookie Chick states, it's the hypocrisy that's so frustrating. In directing the private life of Sherlock Holmes, Billy Wilder explicitly sets out to depict Sherlock Holmes as gay and repressing his orientation. In the BBC, the writers and directors have done everything possible from dialogue to story to visuals to depict Sherlock and Holmes as repressed and gay. Then when it's brought up, Moffat throws his hands in the air to say it's very clear they're not gay, it's not in the show and reduces the audience to people who just want to fantasize about it. That's queer baiting, that's disingenuous, deeply unfair to the queer community and unfair to the audience as a whole. It's not all on Moffat either. One of the writers, Mark Gaddis, is both gay, a proud advocate for LGBTQA rights and visibility. As a fan of Gaddis, I enjoy his novels, his acting and screenwriting. I can't help but be a little disappointed in him because he was in a position to do so, so much more for the queer community with his take on Sherlock. I'm not saying he should be a paragon for the community, but he has repeatedly voiced his passion for normalizing gay culture and media. I wish he'd attempted to do so on his own show. Sherlock and John didn't need to ride off into the sunset together, but a little more positive representation would have been nice. Mookie Chick also explains that one of the villains, Moriarty, seems to mock Sherlock's sexuality. Their interactions have an explicit sexual undertone, yet if Sherlock isn't gay, then this just makes him a queer coded villain. There's also Irene Adler, a femme fatale who claims to be a lesbian, but is also shown falling for Sherlock's charms in the show too. In BBC's Sherlock, if you're a villain, there is sure to be something non-normative about your orientation. But if you're not the hero, because as the show's creators keep insisting, Sherlock and John couldn't possibly be gay. I've got to agree a bit with Mookie Chick here because it seems to me that a co-creator of a show as big as this, who is a member of the LGBTQ plus community himself would wanna change things. And I don't know what happened behind the scenes to not let that happen. But it kind of sucks that the representation is so lacking here, especially coming from Gaddis. But for now, I want to continue into fan fiction and discuss the aspect as it relates to queer baiting. A fan fiction is, to put it simply, fiction written by fans of a show, book, movie, whatever the case may be. As one article states, fan fiction itself is a medium that does not restrict nor censor pre-existing works. Indeed, it has been perceived as a disrespect to the original creators or a source of questionable morals. However, it is important to recognize the foundation of fan fiction and its importance to a fandom, especially to the LGBT plus minority. For them, it provides an ease of entering a community and culture that welcomes the different and the unique. Fan fiction being innately participative can be a platform that represents the queer then condemns and introduces awareness of the dimensions of sexuality that is often inhibited by the mainstream media. Every community of fans include a wide variety of people. In a census conducted on the demographic of Archive of Our Own, a major nonprofit fan fiction archive that recently won the Hugo Award for Best Related Work, 53.7% of users surveyed identified belonging to a gender, sexual, or romantic minority. In a different study, heterosexuality resulted only as the third percentage after bisexuality and asexuality from its participants of fan fiction readers. 
While these statistics do not comprehensively depict fandoms, it does illustrate the significant participation of LGBT plus individuals within the space of fan fiction, and by extension, their presence as fans are canon. The LGBTQ plus community is pretty starved for open representation. I'm not saying that things aren't improving, but as of right now, to say otherwise would be disingenuous. So to write a story where two fictional characters with an implied relationship come together, I don't really have an issue with that. Write your Holmes Watson fanfics, they're not real people. And if it helps the LGBTQ plus community people feel more represented, then it's probably already doing more for the community than the show itself. Some may say this disrespects the creator's intent, but if it's on a public platform and it's not about to be published or break any kind of copyright laws, then I don't really see any harm in an LGBTQ plus writer reimagining a character they love. However, I won't pretend there's no harm in fan fiction whatsoever. Although the community overall comes across as positive and welcoming, I will say that problems arise when this bleeds into real life. One example of this is the Jacksepticeye and Markiplier situation. There is a lot of gay fan fiction of these two, like way, way too many. It's, it's a little uncomfortable to say the least. And it even went to a point that they have a name, Septiplier. The thing is, I understand that the LGBTQ plus community needs representation in mainstream media, absolutely. But pushing that onto the people isn't the way to go about it either. To his credit, when Jack Septiceye had been asked about this in various contexts, he says he takes it in stride and he's not really angry about it. I think he recognizes that there's no malicious intent behind these stories, but at the same time, Jack says very clearly that it's gone too far. He was fine with it when it was jokey and not sexual, but as the fan fiction got more erotic and explicit, Jack had to ask people to stop the Septiplier fanfic completely. I know that this isn't really queer baiting, but I couldn't talk about the topic without getting into this to a certain extent. After all, I think fanfics are fantastic tools for creators. If people are reading these fanfics, falling in love with LGBTQ plus couples, maybe feeling inspired to write their own, then I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. But taking real life people, changing their sexual orientation and writing them in erotic situations, that one does go a little too far. Hell, even if you don't change someone's sexual orientation, I feel like it could be seen as an invasion of privacy at worst, cringy at best. So as great as fans fiction may be for living out those Sherlock Holmes dreams that are teased in the show, I wouldn't exactly say Septiplier is the best way to root for representation either. As for more generic type celebrities, some have been accused of falling into queer baiting tactics. One article states, Nick Jonas has been dogged by queer baiting accusations for much of his solo career and for his protestations, he only has himself to blame. After all, he has made repeated gay nightclub appearances. He once said he can't gay if he has experimented with men and he claimed a gay sex scene on Kingdom qualified as gay sex. The bulge grabbing singer actually addressed his queer baiting allegations in 2014, telling Pride Source, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I think it's unfortunate that some people have to find a negative in every situation. Clearly my heart is in the right place. And more than anything, if they just looked at my life and my gay friends and the authentic nature of where my heart is, they just see they're kind of ignorant. I don't know if this like super qualifies as queer baiting. Maybe I'm just not seeing it, but Nick Jonas doesn't answer a question about his sexuality and that's really his business. I don't care what Nick Jonas's sexuality is or his orientation or whatever. Like if he's experimented, that's up to him if he wants to talk about that or keep it to himself. People reserve the right to be curious or unsure of themselves. So individuals queer baiting seems like it falls even further into that gray area. 
there's a giant difference between the writers at Sherlock deliberately putting their characters in homoerotic situations and other creators using a sentence to acknowledge the LGBTQ community in their works than advocating for more representation. An individual specifying their sexual orientation isn't queer baiting, it's coming out. One source commented on this when Ariana Grande in her song Monopoly expressed attraction to both men and women without outwardly labeling herself as bisexual. It wrote, if in the future it's revealed that Grande's team made her express this when it's not true, then it's justified to call them out for lying to queer fans. But people saying like Ariana, Rita Ora, etc., are queer baiting for expressing attraction to men and women only serves to further the harmful stereotype that multi-gender attracted people aren't really queer. The stereotype that bi-pan people aren't really queer or queer enough is still prevalent within LGBT spaces. Just last week, controversial feminist Julie Bindle published an article accusing openly bi-pan women of faking lesbianism for attention. This harmful notion stems from the heteronormative idea that all female sexuality is either for or about men. Women's attraction to other women is seen as less valid or real than our attraction to men, and bi-pan women often feel pressured to prove that their attraction to women is real. The point is, Ariana Grande knows if she felt genuine about those lyrics or not, and that's her business. If she ever states she did it just to seem LGBTQ plus friendly, then absolutely that's queer baiting and that's messed up. But celebrities are individuals and their orientation isn't our business unless they want it to be. Anyway, with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode. I know this was a little bit more opinionated than many of my other topics, but hopefully you enjoyed it all the same. It was just kind of something as I sat through this entire month was seeing, you know, the the corporations with their fake rainbow logos while they're supporting anti, you know, LGBTQ plus communities and creators pretending to be something when they're not, when they admittedly say that they're straight and then lie and be like, oh no, but I'm an ally. And then they clickbait being gay. Like I'm just over that, you know? And I just kind of sat back and watched this entire month. And you know, this pride month was as messy as ever. Cause I just feel like they, they're always gonna be messy. Um, but it just really had me thinking and and that's why this episode came out. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you're liking, following and subscribing for more content just like this. And let me know your thoughts. Shout off on Twitter, Instagram, Discord server. Links for everything will be in my Linktree link so we can always connect outside of these episodes. I love you all and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.